Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. This is Umar Hamid, your host, and welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategies, and advice on how to make you better, stronger, faster. Get ready for another episode. Today, I'm joined by Billy Cole, the CEO of Cole Roofing and... Fisher Energy Baltimore. Yes, sir. Definitely. So you've got the roof and you've got the solar panels. We do. We have both. <laughs> so in 90 seconds, uh, tell us who you are and what you do here. Uh, so Baltimore-raised guy. Um, we have a f- I'm fourth-generation commercial roofing. And in 2009, despite you know, the greatest recession of my lifetime or whatever, we thought it would be a great time to start another business. So we got into the solar business. Uh, that kind of came out of seeing solar panels showing up at roofing trade shows and thinking that that was the next product offering that the commercial roofing nice. company needed. What was the internal dialogue uh, like? I'm sure there were some uh, folks that were saying absolutely makes sense and other people saying, yeah, hold on, this is this our core business? What were those conversations like? Well, I, I, I think we started from always uh, believing we were offering our customers, you know, the, the best uh, uh, the best products that were available. Um, this was a little different because people didn't necessarily want to talk about their electrical usage with their roofer, but it did seem to be something that was coming. We had already started building vegetated roofs, so putting plants on mm-hmm. top of roofs for stormwater reasons. Uh, so this this concept of using the roof as a platform for something else that was not foreign. The we, seeds were laid. Yeah, we liked Pun that. Intended. That was good. Yeah, no, we, we like that. I mean, it made sense to us. And especially if you're focused on putting a really good roof down, then it gives us the confidence to, you know, what else can we do with this space? So that made sense. Um, my grandfather was adamant that I was too early and he was right. But, you know, it's still at the same time, I guess you want to be ahead of the curve and thought that that had benefit too. So there's an expression from Silicon Valley leading edge and bleeding edge. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it took us the first year that that company was in existence was entirely an education year. I mean, just trying mm-hmm. to start the conversation with people in Maryland, it was, you know, they had no Far. idea. Yeah, they had no idea. Um, and, you know, it was transitioning the conversation of solar's all about loving the environment and saving the planet. And it, it's like, no, like, we, it has to be economically good for us to really want to do it. Uh, I had heard uh, a while ago that uh, the amount of energy it took to make a solar panel was huge, the amount of heat and stuff. And they were claiming that, you know, over the lifetime, you may not recover the energy used. Yeah, and that may have changed by now with technology. Uh, and I've I've heard that we might put that in the urban myth category. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I I don't have the research to know that answer, but I have definitely heard that as um, Bigfoot and and that. Yeah. Well, and it, if if so, if your idea is to to move away from solar or not let solar get any traction, I think that's one of the arguments that's used. Is solar like uh, regular technology because uh, my computers get faster and they get cheaper? Yeah, uh, that. Those products, I think, has taken a bit of a different path. Uh, it seems like all the money that has been invested into solar was focused on trying to manufacture them cheaper mm-hmm. as opposed to making them better. More efficient. Yeah. So our efficiency levels aren't much greater than they were five, ten years ago. They're, they are better, 
but not nearly as significantly as the price decreased over that same time period. I was at a lecture in Silicon Valley maybe uh, 20 years ago, and there was a company that wanted to put up these giant flying airplanes that had solar panels, all electric, and they used magnifying glasses to focus the sun because they wanted to get uh, flying antennas that would be the new cell towers. And it was like uh, science fiction, but also possibly feasible. Yeah, we've never messed much with the sort of the collection mm-hmm. using mirrors and things like that, but there's definitely a segment of the industry who believes that's critical to maybe what will ultimately be mainstream deployment. So there were some rooftop units that, uh, because you tilt them all towards the sun, mm-hmm. the backside of that presents an opportunity to put something. They were putting mirrors there, and that was reflecting more light onto the next panel behind it. Oh, so, brilliant. So there's definitely um, – they also, in the, along the same lines, were putting panels over top of white roofs. You probably remember the story of Solyndra. Mm-hmm. So that, that company, I mean, part of their – concept i mean that that was really actually an ingenious product i clearly business wasn't managed properly but putting the the solar cells in a circular nature allowing to collect light not just from sun coming down but reflecting up off of a white roof gave you more surface area solar is ultimately a surface area question how much sun can we collect so uh, it also allowed for wind to flow between the tubes and cool them down and so there was a lot of good stuff there but um, you know, didn't didn't make it. So let's talk. Uh, you said this is a fourth generation company on the roofing side. Yep. So what's that like for a lot of companies where there's multi generations? People have to make their mark and also respect uh, what's been done. Then you've got employees. I was working with a company in New Jersey, fourth generation marine product distribution company, and the employees were convinced that uh, other people in the management team that the owners were having secret meetings. And they were like, no, believe me, we're not doing that. (laughs) So what was it like coming into a multi-generation family? At some point, you kind of realize what's going on. But I mean, I started when I was 13. Dad just started bringing me to work. And I was doing odds and ends, whatever, cutting the grass or whatever. So... It, it you don't indoctrinated yeah you don't really know and i mean i worked summers building roofs so i, I definitely got the full picture painted for me that uh i was gonna have to earn my way nice um i think you know it we were really fortunate in that my grandfather uh so we're fourth generation but we behave a lot like third generation mm-hmm. where my grandfather really was the entrepreneur who took us from a residential roofer to a commercial. And then my father is uh, a little bit introverted, very much process, operationally driven. So he, you know, without having a fancy family business evolution book or anything, he just sort of immediately dove into laying process on top of all the things that my grandfather had built. So he built our safety program. He created job tickets for the men when they went out in the field. And and that was really what I think, you know, if you if you do learn about business evolution mm-hmm. or whatever, I mean, you have to have that in that second generation. So we were, we were really fortunate, and that allowed us to grow a little more. And then when I came in, um, you know, I started in HR, and then I did some project management, and then I got to estimating. And my father was running the company, but my grandfather was still in charge of sales, which allowed me the opportunity as an estimator to sit with him. And I learned a lot of the business from his perspective 
probably also was the kind of the side I liked a little bit more. Right. And that him running it and then having the two of us over on the side working on the sales was, was really, you know, I mean, that's like just kind of the stars aligning that you can have an operational oriented person and then these other salespeople. So I got to learn that side from him. When we transitioned to me as president, we were very, you know, it's like succession planning. You, right. You get all this teaching and you learn all this about, and then we didn't do any of that. We, you know, it just came time and economy was struggling and we needed to shift. And, uh, you know, I took over and, you know, he still is, supports us from the operational side. And, you know, it's that, okay, let's take all these procedures. We need to get rid of them. You know, that's my green not knowing any right. better. We're, we're too bogged down with process. Oh, wait a second. Okay, hold on. We need that one back. Bring this one back. Bring that one back. So I definitely made a lot of those mistakes along the way early on, just trying to – we were very clear about um, – my leadership uh, technique as opposed to his and just our personalities in that um, when he when my father was president he we were still small enough where he could keep his arms wrapped around everything and then in order for us to keep growing i needed to push the decision making down to people who were highly qualified and able to do it right they just hadn't had to for a long time so we're, you know, we're six or seven years in at this point, and I would still classify us in the transition period. Mm-hmm. But they are, I think if you asked my people, they feel empowered and engaged, and they, they, they like being trusted to make the decisions. And we're, we're still building frameworks so that they have confidence in those decisions. And, um, but that was the biggest shift was to, to push the decision-making down to people who had you know been doing it for 10 15 20 years and are highly qualified just had never really had to do it so for new uh, like you've gone through the baptism of fire so for new leaders what would be the three pieces of advice you would give that would allow them to step into that leadership position uh, more effectively well <sighs> Three, we'll have to come up with three, but we'll see. I always, how, we'll see I how always we know go. two, and yeah, I make the third right. one up as I go along. There you go. That's my strategy. <laughs> Good deal. Um, I, I think one of the things I came into it with, which wasn't necessarily intentional, but I think was really advantageous, was always having respect for the other people that you're working with. And in my case, everyone was always older than me and had been doing it longer. Yep. So in an effort of of trying to get the right answer in the most efficient way, why wouldn't you lean on these guys that you knew have already been through the battles? And I think that wins them over, you know, immediately when you're going to them asking them for their advice. Nice. So I, I think that's so critical. Respect yeah, respect and, and, and using them, you know, mm-hmm. right? I, I forget, I was just reading something the other day, but it's like you – the quote was something like, you paid me for my hands for 15 years. You could have had my brain for free the whole time. I believe it's, that was Jack Welch. But mm. the idea is, yeah, they, they, they know all these things. So source them for the information. And if you do that, they're, they're more likely to be engaged and work with you moving forward. Brilliant. Um, and then the, I do subscribe to the theory of, uh, you know, bring me your problem bring me three potential solutions and your recommendation, and then let's get to resolution, right? So don't just bring me your problem. 
Right. You got to think about it. Don't use me as a crutch. Yeah, exactly. It's, it don't make me do your job for you. You know, you can do this. Let's. Ju- but I'm happy to confirm it, give you the confidence. And change it, because it's a great teaching moment. But they've done the homework, and then they get the insight, uh, as opposed to you telling them what to do, which basically just doesn't improve what they're doing at all. Yeah, and, and I, I'm, I'm clear with everybody to explain that you know it's not my goal for you to carry this burden i'll carry the burden right like you you make the decision but i'll rubber stamp it you know like bring me the information let's talk through it you don't need to carry the burden if it goes wrong we're Mm going to make the best decision we can and i'll bear that but bring me the best answer that you think you're closer to it you know more than i do is by default you think somehow I've got all the answers in my, in my file cabinet. And I so don't. step one, respect them. Sure. Step two, empower them and actually help them go outside of their comfort zone and actually be the boss. Sure. And then uh, uh, did you come up with a third one? Yeah, we can make one up. Um, I, this is just me personally, but work ethic and being willing to put in the time. There's no substitute for hard work. Yeah, I, and and being shoulder to shoulder with them and... I mean, I'm not one to make sure that my light's the last one out at the end of the day. It's not that sort of weird thing, but I don't want them to ever question, you know, whether I'm willing to go to the nth degree. I mean, in commercial roofing, we do a lot of schoolwork and it, you know, in Maryland, the weather, the way it is, we will get an afternoon thunderstorm that is bearing down on my guys and it is not beyond us to jump in our trucks here and management we're out there on the roof trying to make sure this thing is tightened up before the water comes in and i mean that's just that's just how we do it so in your journey as leader what's a lesson you learned along the way that uh, you still hold dear i do think that we're in a time of great opportunity mm-hmm. everybody probably says that it's a pretty uh, trendy thing to say but uh, there are some interesting demographic shifts occurring and baby boomers exiting and not enough Gen Xers and a whole bunch of millennials. And like you can read a million articles on that. All I know is that there there do tend to be opportunities that exist. And I think having some kind of framework to sort of scrub those, mm-hmm. figure out which ones might make sense for what you're working on, and then having the courage to do it. Yeah. And do it not necessarily in a totally bootstrap startup standpoint, but more of an entrepreneurial type in the company, sort of uh, new division, new product line, acquisition. That's a little bit of a slight difference, but uh, having the courage to do that and then doing it, like I always regret maybe not being more aggressive with the solar company along the way. Right. But I may not be here if I had. It's a you know it was it's a different business than roofing entirely, and uh, we definitely slow played it from a conservative old business trying to start this other new thing. And those those were the only tools I had was the way we were you know fiscally responsible or you know just balance sheet protecting and things like that. So. So let me ask you a question. Let's say you got fired today and you happen to be the new person coming and taking over this solar business with fresh eyes and no legacy things to think about and no family ties. If you're coming to this business now, what 
which direction would you take it? We're at an interesting crossroads. I, I probably wouldn't wish that decision on anyone. Yeah. <laughs> but I so because of our legacy of the roofing company, I do believe eventually larger commercial roofs will everyone will want to get a price for a solar roof and a traditional roof. Mm -hmm. Not everybody will buy a solar roof, but they'll want to know what the cost is. So for us, the the solar business represents the eventual integration Mm -hmm. of those two together. The solar business by itself today is one that is wildly driven by community solar programs and solar farms uh, in different states, not local to Maryland and all you know, driven by state incentives. So there's probably more business to be done uh, in the short term in the community solar on the ground space. But I don't believe that long term that has the staying power. Uh, distributed generation by itself is mm-hmm. I'd like to generate the power on the roof, consume it down below. We have less line loss. We're kind of self-sufficient. That that seems to be seems to me to be a clearer long-term path so if there was no roofing company you you probably drive hard on the solar farms and you continue to develop your business in that way and see what that looks like over time Uh, with the roofing company i think we need to continue to cross train people Um, roofers need to learn more skills Uh, roofing project managers need to understand solar Uh, our salespeople and our estimators are when they meet with an owner, you know, there's a, a full range of products to offer and help them in multiple ways, help them create new lines of revenue. Uh, so it's, I don't know, there's, uh, <laughs> thus is my work every day. <laughs> Two things. Number one, sales drives every business. How do you select salespeople? Like, how do you know you're getting a good salesperson versus someone that sounds good and uh, turns out not to be? Like, what? <sighs> What do you use to establish? I don't know. I don't have any really good answers mm-hmm. to that. If I did, we'd probably be working on a book, and this, <laughs> this would take a whole different path. But um, I think we fall victim a lot in that uh, we believe we can train anybody. Yep. And that when when it's time to part ways with someone, it's as much a failing on our part as it is on theirs. So we, we really get hung up on that a lot. Um, it. If you are willing to continuously learn, you have a good chance of being successful in the world today. In any endeavor, yeah. including sales. Yeah. Actually, I just did a comment on LinkedIn today. Somebody had uh, highlighted this podcast as well as uh, eight others in sales. And one of my comments, uh, other than thanking them, was oh, one of the hallmarks of great salespeople is they're always learning. It's just uh, a nature of who they are. And that's kind of what you do as well, right? Lots of reading. Lots of learning constantly. I mean, the, if you have to be curious, the roofing, sure, it evolves at a much slower pace. But even that, still, there are new products that get introduced, new techniques, uh, new ways of getting to customers. Um, you know, we we have a repeat customer who we've done business with for 10 years, and then all of a sudden that person retires and there's a new person in. So your curiosity about meeting a new person, you know, is- How do you keep them engaged, yeah, keep them the family? Yeah, the, the whole thing. So I like people who like to learn. We do, we, we talk about different podcasters and things like that, and just general in the world. Just nice. be smarter about everything. You know, what turns me on is when there's somebody from, let's say, chemistry, and they come into leadership and they go, you know, 
when a chemical does this, we could do this with like that cross-pollination of disciplines. That is freaking cool. Sure. I one time listened to a podcast, you know, to give you an idea of how good it was. It was about coyotes. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't have any inherent interest. Not peyote. Coyotes. Yes, correct. Good. Uh, But, you know, this was three and a half hours. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm getting out of my car like I'm a coyote expert now. And it's (laughs) like, so it was very much... um, a well-done interview, but it was, I like it stuff because – so there's a person out here who is wildly fascinated with coyotes and, and the the data that they collected and the way they apply that data to decision-making that right. government entities do or how we can eradicate this problem or is this a problem we're supposed to eradicate. And that's the stuff that I think translates into where whatever you're doing. You know, it's like the, here's a problem – Here's how this person chose to attack that problem. And that, I think, is useful in, in every case. Absolutely. Uh, do you remember that book, Freakonomics? Mm-hmm. Sure. So it was very much applying economic principles to social issues and uh, amazing. One last question. Sure. You're a member of Accelerant. Yes. There's uh, fellow members. Uh, don't name names. But what I'm interested in is some people thrive in Accelerant and other people struggle a little bit. So what's the difference between, because the model is you can't sell, so it's very much building relationships. Who does it really well? Uh, like what are the traits and who are the people that struggle and why do you think that is? So f- fundamentally, the, there's the one part that I, I still don't believe everyone quite understands is that the goal isn't for the members to go in a room and figure out how to do business together. It's just not what the model is. And I explain to people all the time I can only buy from one insurance broker, from one attorney, from one accountant. So me as a potential client, I bring minimal value. My network, the number of people that I can introduce that accountant to is wildly more useful and and can be lucrative and, and be way more customers than just my business. So understanding that perspective and then walking into the door with a not keeping score mentality of just enjoying making an introduction that mm-hmm. that is fruitful for someone else. Like if you find yourself in conversations being the guy who I've got a guy, you know, right. like if you'd like that, then inherently you're going to do well. But even for those who Maybe that's not exactly it. It still is the concept of of getting your business in a place and trusting that if I make introductions, whether you want to call it karma or whatever, however you Mm -hmm. describe the way the world works, uh, freely giving to me just seems to be the best path to success. I think that's a good uh, philosophy for life. Uh, Billy, thanks so much for sitting down with me. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 